Why does Skype have to change every two months? I don't know. I don't know. How about they change it so that it works better instead of uh, changing it arbitrarily and yeah. in ways that introduce bugs? Yeah, they don't seem to be trying to improve it. They don't. They don't. It is. It's the. It's the podcaster's uh, fate, Ed, to complain about Skype. Do you know what podcast. the podcaster's fate actually is? <laughs> Do I want to know? Death. Aw, it is, isn't it? It's the fate of all things, John. Oh, it is the fate of all things. You want? You want to hear my death and near death anecdotes? You said that you you spent some time at the bedside of a dying friend. Mm-hmm. And that you rescued a baby. <laughs> Both of these things are true. Let's get right to it. Well, um, my old friend JJ, and actually I, I've written about Jay before. Um, I got asked to write a piece about literary collaboration. And I wrote something, I can't even remember what it was for, um, but it's out there somewhere. Uh, and I wrote about being in high school, and a couple of my D&D group friends, Jack and JJ, we used to sit together uh, during study hall, and one of us uh, started just writing a goofy science fiction story, sort of Douglas Adams-influenced science fiction story, and um, showed it to one of the others. I can't remember who started it, but the second person just added a bunch to it, and then passed it to the third person who added a bunch to it, and we ended up filling a you know, a couple of big, thick five-subject notebooks with this dumb uh, sci-fi story that featured, you know, fictional versions of ourselves. And it was, it was what we would do is so you, we could tell when somebody had come up with something they really liked, <laughs> you know, that introduced a character or a plot element or uh, a piece of, you know, a prop that they obviously they obviously love too much and it would be the job of the other, the other people to destroy it. Um, and we would enrage each other by doing this, but it got to a point where we all learned how to kind of stealthily introduce things, which is sort of how you want to introduce things in an actual novel. Um, and so, uh, this need to like pivot when unexpected things came up and the desire to conceal the need to conceal your desires so that they would not be quashed actually hugely came in handy when I started trying to write fiction um, as a real thing. So Jay was always like, Jack was very, and remains very animated, sort of goofily iconoclastic, mischievous guy. Um, he was a cartoonist uh, when we were in high school and has sort of graduated to, well, not graduated to, car- cartooning is also a great art form, but it's not the one he, he chose to um, excel at. He's now a painter. Um, and he, mm. he works for, he works for a big printing company that's collaborating with Pantone to try to make this new system of, uh, this new system for, uh, making color, uh, prints of things. Um, which is, it's actually sounds really interesting and he's, a, he's a good guy. Um, but Jay was always really quiet <laughs> and, uh, he was a big sort of burly guy who said very little, but uh, would would always had a sort of trademark devilish grin that he would flash every now and then. Um, 
And it, I guess I haven't really been in touch with him, but a couple of years ago, he, he was diagnosed with, I think, colon cancer and fought it for a while and um, was in and out of the hospital. And I don't think he ever thought he, he'd beat it. Um, but it, pretty, it progressed pretty swiftly, and now he's he's terminal. I mean, he may mm-hmm. by the time we were we're recording this, he may actually have died. I I don't know, but I got a, I got a note from Jack saying Jay's Jay's in the hospital. He's you know he's only got a few days left. Do you want to do you want to come see him? And it was Thanksgiving. Um, I probably would have back gone. in <clears throat> Phillipsburg, Easton. Mm-hmm. Somewhere in the it was Lehigh in, General, in Lehigh Phil- General Hospital. Yeah, no, it was in, in Phillipsburg, the hospital there, uh-huh. um, where various various dramas in my extended family happened over the years. Um, much it seems to be much improved from the old days. This <laughs> hospital, by the way, uh, yeah. and it, it was jay was he he didn't say much but he didn't ever say much so uh it almost he almost seemed normal he was emaciated i mean he's obviously just in his last his last days um Mm -hmm. and of course that's a little disturbing to see but the but it was less disturbing than i expected because he was so there you know um he had the he was the same person in spite of in spite of everything his body has gone through so we hung out for um like an hour and a half, just sort of talking about the old days and uh, figuring out, you know, finding out where everyone had gone. One of my one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite bits of intel that I gleaned from this visit was I um, wanted to know what had happened to uh, Mark Mark Di Girolamo, probably the most fucked up person I've ever met. Who yeah. he was always drawing swastikas and he was obsessed with Charles Manson and. He had a collection of knives, and he always seemed like he was very funny. But it was like, I'm really glad I'm the one you're being funny with, and not the one you're murdering. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I asked what had happened to him, and Jack said, "Oh, he's in Florida <laughs> worshiping Satan." <laughs> <laughs> good place to do it. He became a pretty pretty good. Uh, he became a Satanist and a reputable tattoo artist, and then he. Then he went to Florida. So anyway, um, so with that still fresh in my mind, I was driving home from Thanksgiving with my kids, and we're coming. It's it's about th- two and a half three hours uh, from my parents' house to Ithaca, and we're coming through this uh, this uh, little town that's just outside of Ithaca. It's all like two lane roads. There's not a direct. Doesn't seem like there's my attempts to try to get to Ithaca. It doesn't seem like there's really a. A fast way. The last hour mm-hmm. to Ithaca from anywhere is on a two-lane country highway. Um, there's, you know, we we travel on like 81 and 80 and 380 all, all the way down to my parents in Pennsylvania. But the um, but the everything surrounding Ithaca is is lots of winding roads. If you get behind a, you know, you get behind a cement truck, you're, you know, you're gonna it's gonna take you an extra 20 minutes. Um. So I come around this corner. It's a very bright, sunny day, and I see this like a white object in the road ahead—an upright white object. And I slow down, and as we go closer, it's clear that it is a baby. There's a baby in the road, and so I t- I drive a wide berth around the baby, then I pull over and I run back. <laughs> You're looking at me like what? I run back to the baby, 
And it's a little girl. She's like, I don't know, one and a half, maybe. Not even. And she's smi- She's obviously very excited and happy about this new experience that she is now having, which is walking down the middle of the highway. And I take her by the hand, and I'm like, hey, buddy. Nobody else around. Let, nobody around. Uh, well, there was, a, there was one other person around. It was another baby. <laughs> it was a second baby. Both of them were in their pajamas. And I think the other one was a boy, and they were in – the boy was – there were a couple of tricycles and some other toys in this yard. There's a little depression. The road is sort of elevated above the yard. There's a little depression that the yard is in. And it was full of leaves, and the the toys were down there, and the little boy was playing with a tricycle. And the girl had wandered into the street. And so I led her back to the yard, and I was like – and I looked up at the house, and I saw that the door to the house was just open. Like, straight up open. And I wasn't... I felt like I ought to have picked up the kids and brought them into the house. But it was not. It was close enough so that I could keep an eye on them and make sure they didn't go back into the road. My kids were in the car there keeping watch over them as well. But So, I just knocked on the door and there was like... A, right in the end, the door opens into a, a sort of TV room where there's a, a cartoon show playing and there's like baby bottles sitting around. The kids had obviously been watching TV and then got out. Um, and I started banging on the door and sort of leaning in and saying, hello, kid, kids in the road. Hello. <laughs> and, uh, I could see, I could see a bedroom on the other side of that house where some, someone had fallen asleep. Uh, the, their mother had fallen asleep and she, woke up and leaped out of bed and immediately knew understood what was happening and just just totally lost it and was apologizing to to me ostensibly but to uh, fate or you know just to the world um and she, she wasn't was, upset with you she wasn't upset with me because one of the one of the scenarios is that you're the bad guy one of the scenarios yeah. is that that you are you have somehow done something terribly wrong yeah and i and i the believe me, the short story version of it is going to go there, um, and that's why I didn't want to touch the kid. Like you know, I don't, I, I wouldn't want people touching my children. I suppose, and people don't. And um, but I didn't want, you know, I didn't want to walk, walk in the door with the kids in my arms. No. Anyway, she said something about, "Oh my God, I'm sorry. I, I was I was working the third shift. Like she had obviously been working all night and took over childcare and just fell asleep." Um, I understand. I understand that. Figured if she just locked the door and let the kids watch TV, she could she could power nap for an hour. Like, I, Done it. no Done question it. about it, right? Yeah. And yeah. at some moment, your kids figure out how to unlock the door and go outside. But that you don't think about that when, for the past six months, they don't even try the doorknob. You know what I mean? Right. So I felt so bad for her, and she was obviously incredibly distraught, and will feel guilty about this for the rest of her life. But I got, I got right out of there before she's – because if you're mad at yourself, uh, yeah. you know, there's only so much of that you can take when they transfer it. before you transfer yeah. it to somebody else. So I was like, okay, it's, no, it's okay, it's okay, no harm done, bye, bye, and zipped away. Keep your baby out of the road. <laughs> well, I didn't say that, but I think that went without saying that, like – all things considered, she would have preferred to have kept her baby out of the road. I think that's we can we can rely. Did on Did she that. understand that the baby had been in the road on a highway? Yes, I, and again, I went through this like, what's the best way to one? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know how to get out of the road. This. Two, yeah. let the person yeah. know how important 
how this system has, how much the system has failed. But three, not seem to be lecturing her about right. her shitty parenting right. because I could, could e- easily conceivably have done the same thing. Sure. So I, what I had and said, lost, and lost a child. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And people have. Yeah. So I yeah. said when I was knocking, I was like, this baby's in the road. And before, as she was running towards the door past me, I was like, yeah, yeah, she was out in the road, but I got her out of the road. <laughs> and then I was like, yeah. okay, goodbye. So, I, yeah, I don't know. I felt the whole thing was uh, was weirdly cathartic. It wasn't. There wasn't like a vodka bottles overturned. No, uh, it wasn't uh, needles in the mailbox or well, anything. You can imagine that's where my head went when sure. I saw the open door of the house. I was like, someone has someone is dead. Someone has succumbed to the crisis. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Someone's dead in there, yeah. and the and yeah. the door. Sure. You know, the door was left open when the killer left. You know, and yeah. I literally thought I bet I better not contaminate the crime scene. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've read well, that, enough crime as, fiction. That is as plausible as what happened, right? Right. Yeah. So no, it, uh, it did not. It did not look like um, a household in crisis. Um, it just looked like a um, a lady trying to make ends meet, and and uh, and the and the kids got out. So. So I was I was I was glad for that, but it felt it's on the, the the Pennsylvania side or the New York side. New York side, New York side. This is quite close to Ithaca. Mm. Since I'm I'm looking for a place to live uh, this coming summer, I was actually thinking, oh, this house is pretty nice. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe she gets arrested, I'll rent it. <laughs> You're looking um, for a, a place to summer? No, no. I I was going to try to buy the condo that I'm in, but I couldn't make it work. So, um, oh, um, so my uh, my landlady is going to have to sell it to somebody else. Um, I, I can't. You can only rent uh, this rent in this development for a year or two before the board starts to starts to penalize oh. you. So. so, how long do you have before you feel like you have to be out? I got to be out June first, so I've got. Time. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, it's, too- yeah, it's all right. I I like this place a lot and would like to have been able to oh. buy it, but. Um, I would have yeah. had to go so much further into debt um, that it. I well, just, aside aside from the financial, whatever's, it's just a. I I, just, I, I dread after having moved almost every year yeah. for the last ten years. I just dread the idea of if even people I know having to put things in boxes. Yeah, and the funny thing is, I stress about moving all the time. Um, like since uh, since I, you know, since Brian and I split up, and I sort of looking for the, for a place to live and ended up I was in somebody's sublet and I yeah. crashed in somebody's place in New York for a few weeks and now I'm you know and I found this place uh through my friend who I work with and it, like I've been I've lived in a very stable way for decades um yeah. it's been a long time since I've had to rent any apartments and I'm I am already constantly paranoid about having to uproot myself even though the fact is when I move into a new place I I kind of like it like I kind of oh, like Oh it's yeah it's fun. I, I really enjoy it. So Yeah. But it's the the labor of the labor of the actual transition. Well, no. I kind of I like arrivals and departures. Yeah. But I don't like carrying the endless boxes. Yeah. The uh Figuring out what cord goes with what. Yeah, you know what is, um, you know what's heavy? Uh, record albums. That's why I don't have very many. <laughs> I have a bunch, and uh, uh-huh. I've moved them all over the place over the years. Individually, they're very light. <laughs> exactly. You could just a record weighs nothing. Fling one right a across the room. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, 
<laughs> so I'm finally getting some things. Out. Thank, thank you for saving the baby. Yeah. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> On behalf of the universe, thank you for saving the baby. That's my superpower. Is I'm a superhero, and my superpower yeah. is not running over a baby with my car. Yeah, and I'm sorry about your friend. Mm. Thank you. I don't. I'm sad, obviously, but I don't really know how to feel because we were never. Considering how much time we spent together when we were when we were teenagers, we were never that close, and I haven't, yeah, seen Hyde and Harrison there. for a decade. Yeah, a Childhood um, friends is a lifelong bond. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is. We we went on many a many a D and D campaign together. Slain, many a halberd. S- slain many an many orc. halberds. <laughs> sliced many kobolds. <laughs> <laughs> Albert, Albert de Kobold yeah. interactions. Uh, yeah, but anyway, I, yeah, I've, I've noticed you've been you've been um, Instagramming your house a lot. You seem very much enamored of your uh, um, uh, of your. Well, I finally your decided, home. you know, after having been in here for two years, to unbox things that have been in boxes for ten years. Yeah, I sort of feel safe enough that we're not imminently moving to actually take to actually hook up my stereo. Mm-hmm. My 15-year-old stereo, which is now over here. Hey! What's up here? Sorry. That's all right. Yeah, there it is. Old stereo's over there. It's weird because it's in the same position as your stereo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it totally is. Sorry, <laughs> I was like, well, I didn't bring my record player. Oh, it's yours. Wow, yours is black and silver, too. Yeah. And my... My Bose speakers and my subwoofer, got everything, everything up and running. Except my CD player is only playing out of one speaker. Yeah, and I tried the chords, tried this and that, and I think it's the CD player or the amplifier. <laughs> it's one of the things. One of the. Com- I don't want it to be the amplifier. One of the components. But all these components you can buy for ten dollars. Yeah. So, yeah. One of the great things about being um, uh, about being a grown up, uh, and vinyl records still being a thing, mm-hmm. is that you can have very affordably the stereo system you wanted when you were thirteen that you saw in a magazine. Yeah, um, because that stereo system now costs a very 13, little no. money. Yeah, yeah, it's basically free. Yeah, so uh, I, I I I like that situation. It's obs- yeah. obsolete tech I can get behind. Got one downstairs, one of these Crosley things, and then this, and it just it just sounds so good. Yeah, not listening to everything out of an iPhone speaker. Yeah, you know, and I, I and of course it's not as good. I found that on I've been listening to Spotify, and I found a way to get the sound better on Spotify. Oh, good. So it sounds pretty good. I've been listening to a lot of like Stereo Lab and Free Design. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> things with a lot of. Um, uh, spooky uh, uh, stereo play. Yeah, you yeah. Know, a little sound come from over here. A little sound come from <laughs> over here. Just, just rem- remind me that it can do that. There was a uh, there was a song, this little EP uh, by Shadowy Men on a Shadowy Planet, the uh, yeah. in- instrumental uh, rock group. Sure, it's called um, Music for Pets. And they do covers of a bunch of famous songs with animals in the title, like Baby Elephant Walk. Um, but they also have a couple of tracks that's like, the, there's one for cats, which is like shaking some food 
and the right speaker, and then shaking some food. Oh, it's there, and it's called Here Kitty. Here Kitty, food inside. Food inside. Brilliant. Yeah. I don't know if I talked to you about the Southwester Lodge. I don't think Have you we- did, but you. I opened the link that you sent, and uh, it looks like a very, very pleasing place. Why don't you tell me about it? So soon after our last podcast, and it's been four weeks or so, four or five weeks since yeah. we talked, said. Um, I attended the Airstream Poetry Festival. Yeah. It's a fancy term for a kind of weekend getaway mm-hmm. for a bunch of the people who hang around Mother Foucault's bookshop here in Portland. I yep. think I've, did I take you to Mother Foucault's when we were here? I talked about it. It's, yeah, but I don't think we went. I don't think we had time to go. It's a used bookstore mm-hmm. on the east side by the Morrison Bridge, run by my friend Craig. Yeah. And it is a, it's a low paradise. He worked for... Um, he lived in New Orleans when we lived there um, and ran in some of the same circles, but didn't know each other. He was a little younger. And uh, then he went to, among other things, went to Paris, ended up working for Shakespeare and Company in Paris mm-hmm. and kind of got into how to sell books, how to sell used books, and then opened this bookstore in Portland. No, uh, can't use your cell phones in there. Uh, he doesn't even yeah. use email. Um, <laughs> Ooh. Everything's woody. Uh, it's mostly philosophy and poetry, a lot of stuff in translation, art books. There's a piano. There's usually a bottle of wine open. Run over to Sheridan's, get some some uh, cornichons and some uh, little lamb sausage or something and just sit there all day and just kind of buy books at reasonable prices, look at them. Think about all the things you forgot to learn, the classes you didn't take in in college. Yeah, you seem to be relative to. Yeah, yeah. Um, that sounds. And it's lovely. down in kind of a funky part of Portland. It's there's a lot of you know kind of bars and hobos, and uh, it's a great scene. And a lot of used book sellers and dealers and just book people kind of happen through and just to hang out. Yeah. And they have readings, and um, so this is the third annual. Mother Foucault's Airstream Poetry Festival. It was uh, a couple of weeks ago. Lovely. In on the Long Beach Peninsula of Southwest Washington, uh, across the bridge from Astoria, Oregon. And this peninsula is really isolated. Um, it's functionally like an island off the Pacific Coast. Yeah. Um, How? Do, what's the? What's the? Is there like a narrow like causeway? Like a? What would you call that? How, what's the what is the entry? It's across the Columbia. Like? It's the north. It's the north uh, coast of the Columbia River at the mouth of the Columbia River, uh-huh. and there's a few bays, and there's a there's a you know piece of land that connects to the mainland. Though it's not an island technically, it's a as a, a peninsula. But then it's also it's so it juts out and then it, it goes up about a hundred miles, um, and the main there's a there's a highway there's a road that takes you north and south. But a lot of people just drive on the beach. Mm-hmm. The beach is part of the uh, state highway system, uh, and it rains all the time. And the businesses are, you know, hiding from the city, uh, giving drinks and food to the people who are hiding from the city, and uh, recreational and commercial fishing, and just like moss fostering. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Um, 
And it's different from the Oregon coast. It's different than farther up. It's a very, very special, unique, weird little place. Um, but it's only maybe two hours from the city. And so there's an old lodge that was built by one of the first senators of Oregon in the 1870s or 1880s. It was Ooh. his getaway. Which has uh, been t- turned into a lodge, a uh, hotel. Uh, but most of the rooms are uh, a collection of maybe 40 Airstream trailers that are clustered on the property. I think I'm looking at the original pictures of the original lodge yep. here. And now we've got pictures of all the... Um, of all the uh, all the airstreams as well. This is yeah. great. Made in various patterns around the old lodge, mm-hmm. and there, uh, somebody keeps them up, fancies them up, and they're like very nice little hotel rooms, nice beds. Um, and there's some rooms in the in the lodge, and there's some cabins, and there's a outdoor kitchen, as well as kitchens inside them. And then inside the lodge, there's coffee, uh, little, the old fire, big giant, big old kind of citizen caneish fireplace, place to sit around, place mm-hmm. in Parcheesi. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's books. And it's a couple blocks from the beach, but also on the edge of a, a kind of a coastal forest. So it's kind of at the edge, edge of things. And around it <clears throat> are all these like little, little cottages that are all a hundred years old and kind of boarded up and spooky nice did you uh, explore them didn't go into any of them i think my spirit did Ooh! but i didn't did you write a poem about the mid i haven't i haven't uh a spooky poem it was just so much it was the most fun i've had in a long time it looked great great combination of the 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 crowd is a lot of my poetry and writing friends from portland and is this place, and I'd never been out there. Most of these people have gone out a lot. It turns out most of Portland has been out to this place. Yeah. Um, and there, must, there might be a recording studio out near there. There's <laughs> really? a lot of uh, uh, bands seem to have stayed there for long periods, and like maybe recorded things there. So there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of their records. So there's like a whole, every, every cabin, I think every trailer and a lot of the spaces inside the lodge have little portable record players in them. Yeah. And then a little assortment of eight or ten records next to it. And you just kind of put on a record. And some of them are old thrift store type things. And some are albums from people who have made the albums right there. That is cool. Some of them are good. And almost and then there's a lot of the heaviest vibe. It's a heavy Michael Hurley vibe. Ah, <laughs> great. A lot of Michael Hurley. A lot of snock. Um <laughs> Playing for almost every almost every record player. <laughs> Wonderful. A lot of snot grass. Yeah. You know, he. Uh, um, I went to see this movie with Owen uh, called Lucky. Um, it's it's. I think it's. Um, uh, what's his name's last film? You know, the veteran of David Lynch movies. Uh, charming old guy, plays guitar and sings. What the hell's his name? Harry Dean Stanton. Thank you. Uh, I presume it was the last movie of Harry Dean Stanton, and it was, it was all right. It was it was charming, and and it had uh, it, was, it had the the feel of a bunch of old friends making an aimless picture together. Um, but there was a Michael Hurley song in the soundtrack, oh. and I I'd, I'd never heard <laughs> I never heard those songs put into a movie before, and I thought, man, all his songs ought to be in movies. They are little movies. Yeah, yeah. He plays a lot here. You know, he lives. I think he lives out in Astoria. 
and his daughter's here, or he lives here and his daughter's in Astoria or something. But he plays about every month somewhere in Portland, and I just, just haven't made it. Yeah, I went. I went and um, he used to live up by you. His website is called Snocko News. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, he. I saw him here a couple of times. I didn't realize he lived out here. Um, I didn't really talk to him. I was too intimidated to talk to him, even though he's like the least intimidating musician yeah. <laughs> that's ever been. Um, but uh, he seemed like a sweet guy. He played a good, good couple of shows um, here. I don't even remember where I saw him. Maybe the the Rongovian Embassy to the United States, which is a fa- sort of famous local folky uh, restaurant and bar. But um, but uh, anyway, yeah. So uh, uh, did you did you do work there? Was it like a retreat, or was it mostly just a, f- a social occasion, talks and readings and so on? For so, some people. It was a retreat. There was, um, you know, a writer in residence. So somebody got to go up. We kind of picked somebody from manuscripts who got to go up for like a week. And I think a bunch of her friends went up for the week and wrote. Um, this is just a weekend. Jill and Oscar and the dog came up. Um, so there were readings. There were some little workshops. Um, I didn't. I read it like midnight in a trailer. Um, it was pr- pretty fun, mm-hmm. but my main role was uh, I led a sing along on the first night. Yeah, um, I brought my banjo, but I I didn't really want to play it, um, and so I did, I did, I printed out a bunch of rounds, uh huh, and got this room of fifty people to sing rounds <laughs> for about an hour. <laughs> Great. Which is which is which was uh, reluctant at first, <laughs> full throated at the at the end. Sort of lodge where you might go and sing rounds. Sure. Yeah. Um, I have, have I've had rounds in my head for a while. Uh, something very. Are they going to make their way into the poems? You know, there's there's the rough day. My second book. Its structure, I had rounds in mind, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and it it is some there's something of rounds in in, in the way this one works. I, I think rounds are just kind of this. It's the sound of the sound of language in music in a different way, you know. I don't know. Sure. And and then I started hearing rounds in seeing how important sort of round structure is. And just like pop music and other things I listen to. Um, I don't know. I like that that repetition and L- destruction yeah. destruction and harmony by repetition. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Layering. I, I have been I have found uh I have found repetition to be very uh uh attractive. In my own work lately, I'm draw. I've been drawn to deliberate repetition at strange intervals, at compelling intervals, uh, in fiction writing. Like the the novel manuscript I just sent you, which there, I have read. Have you really? There is a there is a there is a repetition uh, aspect to it. There are bits of I've done this in stories recently too, but um, I did it in a few strategic points in this manuscript where I. 
I copied a piece of text and I would just paste it elsewhere in the book and then adjust it slightly because the narrator does not realize she's repeating herself. Um, she's, she's sort of in a cognitive fugue state where, um, she doesn't, she doesn't, the reader can see how things are repeating themselves and, and it's, um, she doesn't want to, for, for reasons of trauma of past trauma does not want to revisit the things that the reader sees are being revisited over and over again. Um, and yet they insist on repeating because that's trauma thinking is repetition. Yeah. yeah. Intrusive repetition. Yeah. My uh, next door, uh, uh, my next door neighbor in the office, uh, in the English department at Cornell is one of our, one of our, uh, premier trauma theorists in mm-hmm. in uh, literary theory and her name is Kathy Kruth she wrote a good book called uh, Un- unclaimed experience uh, among uh, among other things but um but uh i talked to her a little bit about uh you know trauma on tv i was re- i was recommending westworld to her because it's about um it's it is it's about re- repetition as a response to trauma yeah. um which i found really exciting uh and I'm sure watching that kind of gave me some ideas for this book. I'm a little, I have to say, I'm flustered. I didn't expect you would have read it so soon. And now you're the only one. Uh, oh, it's great. Really? I'll tell you that. I'll tell you that on a podcast. Okay. I think it's great and and pretty much ready to go. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh, that's good to I hear. Mean, you need to get that, that little badger <laughs> fucker out there in the world. <laughs> That's a, that's a that's a selling point. That's a blurb right there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's the scene in which I was. You got you had me. The it it. I think you might end up working on the beginning a little bit. Um, it's, it's it's pretty great though. Clara and the judge. Yeah, Clara and the judge. And they're both Clara. Yeah, and they're both judges. That's fantastic. The puzzle is fantastic. Um, but then when she goes to the um. Whatever you call him, the uh, the the badger figure, the uh, the bacamono, the bacamono. <laughs> um, once that you know, you got a couple of those paragraphs of of how things are slipping and changing in there, and I was like, okay, I'll go, I'll go anywhere with this. Uh, all right, all right, I'll, good. I'll, I'll go five thousand pages with this. <laughs> you know, I'm in the I'm in good hands. Okay, I'm weird. I'm in weird hands. All oh, right, this uh, is this is a uh, this is very very oh, yeah. pleasing. Oh, it's it's great. It's great. I'm wondering. You, you said. Uh, um, that you know, on the bad podcast, uh, uh, um, a couple times ago, that you'd had like like a particularly great week of writing. Yeah, you said like that was the best week of writing I've ever had. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to figure out which passage came from that. <laughs> um, I can't remember, but I think that that was the beginning of a long string of basically the some of the best couple of months of writing. Three yeah. months. It only took me like three months to write the thing, and I, yeah. and it, well, during the semester of all things, which is shocking yeah. to me, but yeah. I just it, uh, it was coming so swiftly that I I was and still remain in, in spite of your praise suspicious of it because um, you know I had I had spent I say this I give this lip service all the time this idea this that Richard Hugo and others have have uh, suggested before me that you bang your head against the wall. Yeah. Um, on a piece of writing, and it never works out, but that work pays off in some other piece of writing. And so, as though it gives the sure, it gives other yeah. ideas, it gives the right idea um, the space to to germinate while you're distracting yourself with the 
with the work that is never going to come to fruition, right? Yeah. So, and I had I had written earlier this year about 120 pages of something that, um, I I was enjoying it, but with every page, I realized that I was I was taking I, I was moving farther and farther away from a thing that I could finish writing, and it was making me sadder and sadder. Um, and then finally, I just took a deep breath, set it aside, and was like, "Let me do that thing about the about the." guest house because this yeah. is that the thing about the see no one knows what we're talking about because you're the only person on earth That's who's okay. read it but um the uh I, I was asked to give a reading uh in a not in a town an upstate town a couple of hours away from here um i made some good friends that were it was a, it was a really fun event but i they put mm-hmm. me up in this guest house um that was run by two old ladies and it was very I like when a, I like when a university puts you up someplace weird, and yeah. they they say they basically said to me, "This is where we put the writers up. You'll love it." And there's a part of me that's always like, maybe I just want to stay at the you know at the red roof motel end. six. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like maybe yeah. I want the predictability and comfort of of a of a completely personality free um, lodging. But this place was run by two old women, and they had one room pretty much devoted to a puzzle. And they were really excited about it, and they said, come down any time and work on the puzzle, <laughs> which I did not have the time to do. I didn't spend very much time there. But um, I sent – I can't remember who it was. So I sent a, a one or another correspondent friend of mine an email saying – yeah, I'm giving this reading here at, at at my guest house that I was I was told to come down anytime and work on the puzzle. And whoever this was, I should look it up in my email, but whoever it was said that sounds like the first line of something. Yeah. So I just put it in my notes and it was sort of stuck there. Yeah. Um But anyway, uh uh yeah, I feel like I feel like I used to go so far out of what my way not to repeat myself, right? Like and of course, I still do that to an extent, like looking for an unusual word that you use twice, um, because it sounds weird if you use it twice. But of course, yeah. if you use it six times, it's it's a motif. It's a motif. It's suggesting something, and finding mm-hmm. that balance is very very interesting and exciting. Kind of a new yeah. new angle for me with language. Yeah. yeah. I say bag it and tag it. Bag and tag it, eh? Well, all right. Well, yeah. after the after we uh, go off off air, uh, I would like some more thoughts, or if you can write up a little memo or something. I'm, I'm, I'm going to read it again, okay? Because uh, I I feel sort of uncritically uh, admiring of it, yeah. Which is not necessarily what you sent it to. <laughs> no, no, probably not. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, but, you're, the uh, problem, the other problem is you're my perfect audience. Yeah, you and I just kind of like each other's writing. Yeah, I like your writing. It, it it's just such a it's a you know it's it's a mad it's a mad book. Great. I mean, it's it's a uh, it's a fever. Um, and if you if you if you get everything just right, I mean, like there's a way of revising it that takes away the fever. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was kind of like the my editor and the way my editor and I dealt with the observer character in my last mm-hmm. book, Broken River, um, which is like a you know. F- for the uninitiated is like a narratorial entity that kind of floats over the novel, which yeah. is, other writers have done a thing like this. But what I realized was that 
if it's not um, calibrated right, it's stupid, you know, um, and it has to have an arc and it has to have rules and the rules have to evolve and it has to be doing something other than just being there. And it's the kind of thing that like, because you're inviting a reader to suspend disbelief, if you, they'll accept, they'll suspend disbelief and they'll accept the impossible. But if yeah. you do the wrong kind of impossible, it will break the illusion. And it's almost impossible to know, especially in the first draft, what, what will and won't break the illusion, you know? Yeah. The crow, the, it's like the Alexa or the echo thing, whatever it's called, Sylvia. Or, Sylvia. Yeah. That's fucking, that's a masterpiece. <laughs> I have a feeling, and the, and, the, and the evolution of it, the evolution of it, yes. Yeah. Uh, that's why one of the reasons I want you, I want you to get it out there as soon as possible because yeah. there's going to be a lot of digital assistants in novels that do weird things. Yeah, nothing's going to be as weird as this. <laughs> well, you know, I actually wrote, I wrote a, like a ten pages of this way back yeah. in you know the beginning of the year. And I'd been taking notes on it for a while, and um, and I, I didn't have time to work on it, but I was like, all right, I'll, I'll go back to this, and I set it aside. And um, uh, then I read Born, Jeff Vandermeer's novel, Born. Have you have you read this yet? Um, no, um, I may this have. Is, this is this is separate from the Annihilation. Yeah, yeah, different, totally different book, different universe, and and everything. Um, yeah. And I think I've mentioned it on the. Um, on the podcast before, but I'm going to link to it again because it's, you told me, I haven't read it though. Uh, it's uh, I just love it. It might be my favorite uh, book so far this year, but anyway, um, there, it, there is a, um, there's a creature that evolves and changes in this book. And it's so the born that the titular character, um, is like starts out life as something that looks like a house plant and then becomes this super intelligent monster. Um, over time, and it's really a, it's a beautiful sort of extended riff on on parenting, um, among other things, uh, and very very sad uh, and lovely book. But Born, the character is so distinctive. <laughs> the way the way it learns language is incredibly funny, and it just lodged in my head. And I was like a little a little thing that talks and then evolves. It became I couldn't I couldn't think of anything but born, yeah. And then I thought, ah, shit. Now I can't write this book because I knew I was going to have this entity in it. And um, when Poor I went person, back to I, it, I, when I went back to it many months later, of course, yeah. I, I didn't understand what you know. I'm not, now that Jeff's book had sort of receded into the background um, of yeah. my mind, I was like, oh no, this is totally different. And then I did my own thing. But um, oh, but it's I, it reminds me a little bit of like the Eraserhead baby. <laughs> and I just watched Eraserhead before. Um, before it reminds that. me of like the the ghost of Christmas Future in the Christmas Carol, which, yeah. if you, which, which if you remember, um, starts the evening as a ba- because it ages over the course of the dream. Yeah, like the ghost evolves, and the ghosts are like digital assistants in Christmas Carol, right? <laughs> yeah, they kind of are, <laughs> and it develops and changes. Yeah, um, I thought of I thought of, I, I, there, there's there's a there's a, there's sort of Dickens the Dickens Kafka type you know 
precision and disorder. Yeah, and um, yeah. I was thinking of Ishiguro too. Is really influenced Ishiguro, by Ishiguro. Yeah, like yeah. The, the particular clueless first person is very Ishigurian. But I, I yeah. over the a little time, sleeping giant ish. But sure. but very. I mean, these are things. That, these are associations, but not at all copies. Oh, I can good. feel the um, Twin Peaks. Yeah. The or not borrowing from just like the the the, the excitement of the excitement of and, and terror of watching Twin Peaks is. <laughs> Uh, I, it's inside of this. There's definitely a lot of Twin Peaks: The Return in particular here. I just, yeah. I, which I think was was brilliant. Um, I talked was? to my while I was writing. I was talking to my kids about it a lot because um, it was on my mind all the time. And uh, I was talking to Owen about particular aspects of it and describing it. And Owen said, "Oh, so it, it's basically the Wizard of Oz." <laughs> and I was, I said, "Sure." <laughs> and then I was telling Toby about it, and Toby said. So it's basically beloved, <laughs> and I was like, you know what? It's beloved of Oz. That's exactly beloved what I'm doing. of Oz. Yeah. yeah, very good. Yeah, yeah. There's a hint in my uh, scarecrow. <laughs> yeah, that... alternate title. <laughs> what? I was trying to think of a place. The the hint in my Emerald City. Yeah. <laughs> Man, when you got a hate in your scarecrow, yeah, <laughs> that's a bad scarecrow. Yeah, um, yeah. So, uh, uh, okay, well, talk definitely talk to me more about that letter. But that's a huge relief that makes my day. Oh fact. man, it's fantastic! You know, yeah. but I had preemptively ruined my day right before I called you, so um, it actually it's this is actually an unexpected treat. Um, I <laughs> so somebody on Twitter. I'm having, gotta get off Twitter, John. Gotta I'm, get off Twitter. I, well, you know, here's the thing. Improve my life. So I got off Twitter after going to the to the airstream. Yeah. As I came back, it's like, okay, I need to I need to get rid of something. And it's Twitter. And I, I was able to finish a book. I just walking around. Uh, I'm not as uh, beleaguered by the destruction of our country. <laughs> um, Lucky you. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Great. Yeah. I, it's been i think about how delightful it was before the uh yeah. not not just before the election before the campaign like 2 years ago um yeah and i'm i've made a lot of good friends there many of whom have become real life friends and yeah. i love talking to them every day they're smart and funny and cutting and interesting but uh more and more of it feels toxic to me, not just the news and people's opinions of the news, but um, everyone's off in their corner defending their corner really angrily. Um, yeah. And even when I feel like I'm in the corner with them, yeah. I I don't – the tone is exhausting. Poison. It's just poison. poison. So today – so, but it's not – it wasn't so toxic. The good guys are poison. The bad guys are poison. It's all poison. So, so you know, I, I got off it for a few days. Um Occasionally looking at it when I was, you know, idly standing in line for something, but mostly just not not paying attention. Um, you know, during the Thanksgiving break, I was yeah, busy yeah. with family and so on. Um, and uh, then this morning, I looked at it, and there, there's this thread going around. A writer talking about their child, uh, who did some wacky thing at school at school. And it pissed off the and confused the teachers. And this person was basically the 
the thesis was my child is a genius. And there was one, it was a tweet storm, you know, a tweet, a twanecdote. And uh, one of, this is one of the tweets. Imagine a middle school administrator of average intelligence and no particular creativity trying to wrap their heads around this situation. Just imagine that. I would feel sorry for them, but I'm too busy laughing my fucking ass off. And I just got really pissed at, you know, my, and I, so I said, (laughs) I think this is someone who knows people I know. I don't know this person personally, but everybody knows everybody on literary Twitter. You can't lash out. Couldn't pick them out of a lineup, put them in a room together. They wouldn't know each other. (laughs) That's true. Or talk to each other. So I quoted this tweet and then tweeted, you know, as a response, that's basically my dad a career school administrator of high intelligence and real creativity who was paid far less than his worth to wrap his head around all the kids who told by their parents that they were smarter than everyone else annoyed the shit out of people. (laughs) And I realized that this, I'm effectively fouling the nest. I'm sure I'm not looking at my at replies right now because I feel fear that it's gotten back to the original poster who is going to um, be mad at me and denounce me or something. And, and I, but here's what I, here's, or maybe it, it won't bother this person at all, but, um, but what I realized was the, like, why do, why say that? Because things annoy me, opinions annoy me on Twitter all the time, and I don't do or say anything about it. But this time it just really pissed me off, maybe because I just spent a couple of days with my dad. And I realized that Twitter wasn't quite toxic enough for me yeah. to do anything about it. So I yeah. I was deliberately fouling the nest to make yeah. some of my acquaintances hate me so that I yeah. would ha- I would have an excuse to to leave. Okay, yeah. Well, here's your excuse. This is my excuse. Just, so just leave. Leave it. I'm going to walk away from it. Yeah. I'm not going to delete my account or anything, but I'm going to I'll probably just You know, and I say, you know, Colson Whitehead tweeted a couple of times this morning saying, "Hey, I'm giving a reading here. If you're in Vienna, I'm in Vienna. I'm going to give a reading." I thought I could be like him. <laughs> I could just surface to say, "Hey, I'm giving a reading," and then disappear. Why yeah. not? Cuz that's not uh, that's not the letters to the editor part of you. <laughs> I know it's terrible. Which is strong. <laughs> Twitter was Twitter was designed to distract you and, yeah. and irritate you and delight you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's true. Your, uh, <laughs> it's your it's the Doug, Dougie Insurance Company. And I enjoy I enjoy being liked too much. Giving so you your that, case files. Yeah. <laughs> Looking for your case files. <laughs> and I've, uh, that's um, by the way. Speaking of um, speaking of Twin Peaks: The Return in my book, that whole mechanic by which Dougie determined by which the the black lodge spirits showed him where the showed him where the fraud was on the insurance yeah. firm insurance forms and he just takes a holds the pen like a two-year-old and just scribbles lines and circles you don't know what he's doing until you later realize that it's 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 proving the it's proving the insurance fraud yeah um i feel like that the the goofiness of that mechanic uh, is so beautiful. Um, it is beautiful, and I definitely cop that uh, uh, that that shtick um, in my book. I feel like there's such an intuitive, ridiculous beauty uh, to that to that season of the show. But it's it's dream shtick. I mean, it's it's a 
here's this thing that my my brain is imagining um, that I don't understand it. And maybe it's something very bad. Maybe it's something very good. Oh, it turns out it's good. Yeah. Oh, it turns out it's bad. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, you know the the consequent the 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 feeling of consequence and origin, kind of the uh, emanations of that. I don't know. It's it's it's, it's magnificent. Um, so I wanted to tell you. Wanted to tell you about Southwester. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're still talking about that. And there's and you also sent me some other links I want to talk about. Um, I wanted to find out about the baby in the road. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I told you about that. Um, I told you I was writing the liner notes for this truck stop love. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, re uh, reissue of or issue of, of, of unreleased demos and things that yeah. on that came out. And they had uh, uh, three reunion shows last week. I wasn't able to go, but I followed it. Uh, I spent the weekend as much time as I would have spent flying to Kansas and going to these shows tracking. <laughs> The reunions and performances through everybody's Instagram and emails and Facebooks, yeah, and uh, and then listening to a lot of that truck stop love music. I should have gone. I should have gone uh, back. Yeah, should have gone back because they sounded great. Sounded great. Some, uh, some you know. Uvers uh, that sound good in the in the first iteration, you realize that they were designed to be replayed twenty or thirty years later. Yeah, you know, uh, a lot of stuff is designed to uh, decay immediately. Yeah, and something's designed to designed to age. Yeah, most rock music designed <laughs> to decay immediately. The the actual methods are decay uh, distortion. So it's decaying even as it's being played. Um, some stuff, uh, some things rock out even harder with time. That's truck stop. You're, you're grill marcusing, my friend. That's me. <laughs> I'm sorry. That you, I'm sorry that you didn't go. Sorry that you didn't go. go. This it was it was these shows were happening in Kansas. They were happening in in uh, Man- at Auntie May's uh-huh. basement bar in Manhattan, Kansas, mm-hmm. the record bar in Kansas City, and then I think at the Bottleneck in uh, Lawrence. Maybe it wasn't the Bottleneck. But, um, uh, it's, it's good to see. Um, so at forty, you know, forty five or six, whatever I am, uh, it's nice to see people surviving. Yeah. Because not every, not everybody and not everything is surviving or prospering, um, and it's easy to dwell on on those things, you know. And that's just going to get worse. Uh, so it's nice to see an old nice to see an old plant bloom. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I do feel like rock and roll, the rock and roll that we grew up liking so in indie rock has enjoyed an unexpected period of old acts reuniting and actually not sucking right um, there have been lots of reunions that i think have been eminently worthwhile and i never expected you expect you expect uh you expect rock and roll bands to to split up and never get together again but um yeah. as we're all aging together uh 
people are still seeing value in the stuff they did. We're not expect Dinosaur Jr. to be putting out new albums. <laughs> no, definitely not. But then, no. of course, we have, we have to tip our hats to folks like the Dead Milkmen. Of course. Who Always. never gave up. <laughs> There's no reunion. Are you pandering to Dean right now? It's just, it's just <laughs> keeping going. Well, but I mean, I also, you know, I mean, that, you think of, I, I think of like a, you know, the, the way these, these guys are like took a 20 year break and then come back together yeah. and are able to do it and, you know, delighted to be doing it, you know? Yeah. And I think of, of the, the people who just had the good sense not to break up in the first place. <laughs> There's a uh, J- John Roderick of the long winters and, and of podcasts uh, has often said a band should never announce that they're breaking up. They should just yeah. go on hiatuses and not say anything to anybody because eventually they're going to get back together again. Mm-hmm. Um, if they don't, then everyone will have forgotten anyway. And if they yeah. do, you don't have to say you're reuniting. Sort of, and an, yeah. he, he was cr- specifically criticizing the um, uh, uh, LCD sound system having a big farewell show at oh, Madison yeah, Square Yeah, and then like three years later. Like, no way is that going to stick. Yeah. <laughs> LCD sound system, which, which, which started almost as a reunion. Like, uh-huh. like LCD sound system sort of begins like some band that's getting back together. <laughs> well, you know, like it starts out feeling like that, you know. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, I, I'm, I'm delighted to hear that they're, they've, they've uh, reunited for some shows. That's great. You did, I show you the, oh, did, I, did I show you the top city motherland? No, actually, I was just going to ask about that. I was going to yeah. say, speaking of Kansas, you sent me this yeah. um, Kansas t-shirt thing. This right here are, like, my ex-wife and children are definitely getting this shit for Christmas, let me tell you. Yeah, I, I just shelled out. I've been, yeah, I had a financial panic, like, a month ago, in the sense that I had no money. Uh-huh. And so I thought, started thinking, uh-huh. okay, how can I make money real quick? <laughs> and, uh... Uh, and so I put a bunch of stuff on eBay. Yeah, like I, I had a bunch of these, these like great sports jackets that I never wore that I bought for nothing, uh-huh, and uh-huh. Like some <laughs> shoes that I bought and never wore, and a bunch of extra books. And so I just kind of eBayed a bunch of stuff for a couple of weeks. And of course, I didn't make any any real money. And of course, <laughs> the next paycheck came in and everything was fine. <laughs> um, but then I had this just a big PayPal hoard. Yeah, and I it all went to Top City Motherland. Hmm. Mm-hmm. It all went on these T-shirts. I got some mugs, uh, some totes. Sure. So my friend Cooper Olson, I think you might have met my friend Cooper, lives in L.A. Yeah. Um, fascinating, fun guy. And he uh, uh, is – one of his disorders is a nostalgia <laughs> from Topeka that, that that is way past obsession. And in the sense that he would never live there again. He lives has a wonderful life in Los Angeles. Yeah, but thinks mostly about Topeka, particularly Topeka of the 1980s. And so he found all these old um, logos. Mostly, I think all of these are closed. These are all businesses that we we went to in the 80s in Topeka, Kansas, that have closed, have been long closed, mm-hmm. um, and. And figured out how to. He could talk to a graphic design friend or you know someone else in advertising. So I've got the logos, kind of freshened them up, you know, made them good digital files, you know, for these these transfers. I've got one of the coffee cups right here. Yeah, the hand broke. Which one? Oh, you got the Topeka Adventure Center one. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, the broken handle is is a mark of authenticity. It makes it look like it's genuinely old. 
Yeah. Real nice. So the Adventure Center was where we, it was like this enrichment thing from elementary school um, where you would go, and this was the logo for it. Um, there's, I don't think, Cool Clyde's Water Slide, I don't think he has that on there yet. He's working on some more. What he, he ended up went going back to uh, old yearbooks and getting the logos out of, out of yearbooks. Yeah. And, and remembering the colors, sort of <laughs> acts of memory. Uh, there's one for Moods Unlimited, which was a kind of head shop near my house. <laughs> That's a they great sold, name. <laughs> I think they sold like waterbeds and tie-dye and blacklight. Uh, but clothes also, for some reason, my mother liked to shop there. Maybe there was incense. Maybe she misunderstood the store entirely. Yeah. Um, Wasn't Showbiz Pizza a chain? I remember that eating. That was a chain. Yeah. 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 These are good, though. These are really good. Well, I'll certainly put this in the notes. Yeah. But, uh, that uh, talk, Taco Tico logo is a, a touch racist. Yeah, you can't use that. Yeah, you can't use that. <laughs> I don't, I don't think, think, don't think I'm going to invite my children to wear that. <laughs> no, you can. It's good. He shouldn't have done the Taco Tico. No, he shouldn't have. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a huge taco. It was a big chain around around our area it wasn't particularly good but yeah. i like the typeface and the diamonds sort of the, the diamond marquee for it yeah i i love a i love a good 70s logo i had i'm sure i've brought it up on the podcast before though i don't specifically remember doing so but um i had a t-shirt when i was like 12 uh, it was the logo of, I think this brand still exists, but I can't find this, this old design anywhere. Um, old mother Hubbard's dog food. Oh, nice. And somehow I came into possession. I don't know how I did too, because I, it wouldn't have been bought new. Um, we didn't have a dog and no used clothing ever made its way into my childhood home. My, my mom is not a secondhand clothing person. Was it so a giveaway? Might've been a giveaway. Could have been a giveaway, but um, it just was a T it was a t-shirt that said old mother Hubbard's dog food. It had a great logo on it. It was my favorite t-shirt. Even at the time, even at 12, I yeah. knew that it was cool, you know, and I've really never been cool. Um, and have not had a real good sense of what is cool. But I knew that yeah. this shirt was cool. It was already yeah. vintage and had it had a quality that was already disappearing. You know, we were into the era of, you know, lasers and um, everything looked like Tron, you know. Um, oh, yeah. You know, the local bowling alley <laughs> commercial would try to look like Tron. Uh, yeah. But it was like definitely a... a a bit nostalgic for a bygone era and it was scratchy. It was the least comfortable shirt oh, I've yeah. ever owned, but I wore it and it was too small, and I, but I wore it. Um, I, in fact, wearing a t-shirt that's too small for you was also very seventies. So it was period yeah. appropriate, but, um, but I loved it. And then I, I, you know, it somehow yeah. left my life as things did. Jim, was it an iron on? It's possible. Remember how iron-ons would, uh, would kind of get, especially if you had maybe ironed it on badly and you wore it a lot, the, the iron-on would have more integrity, <laughs> structural integrity than the shirt itself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it would be kind of like shield. That would you know, kind of chafe your nipples a little bit. <laughs> uh, I've heard you and, you and uh, uh, Washuda. Yeah. Uh, maybe as well as talk about some of the things of 
New Jersey of your youths, yeah, yeah. although they don't quite line up. Uh, where would you get uh, like uh, LPs and cassette tapes? There was no your, place in Phillipsburg, but um, when I was in high school, uh, my friend Carl, who I had a band with, discovered. You know, it's funny the the idea that you there would be a great record store two, two towns over and you wouldn't know seems unthinkable now. But because those are all, con- I mean, Phillipsburg is kind of contiguous with like all down the valley. It seems like, from my memory, Phillipsburg, Easton, Bethlehem, Allentown, it all kind of runs together. Once you get beyond Allentown to the west, or beyond Phillipsburg to the east, you get farms. And yep. then there'll be a gap before the next town. But all four of those towns, the, that whole Lehigh Valley, I don't think Phillipsburg is officially part of the Lehigh Valley um, because it's in New Jersey. Uh, and it doesn't actually border the Lehigh. It borders the Delaware, which then meets the Lehigh in Easton. But anyway, uh-huh. um, it's, all of a, it's all kind of of a piece. But if you, we yeah. wouldn't have – we would have like the Phillipsburg phone book and the Easton phone book. Yeah. Like, we just didn't have the Bethlehem Yellow Pages. So, I'm not going to open up the Easton Yellow Pages and find the best record store in the oh, area. Oh, I see. You know I what see. I mean? Anyway, Carl found out about it, and it was in Bethlehem. It was called Play It Again. It just closed recently, by the way. And I have been there recently. I had been there recently, just a few years ago. Um, and it was like it was like heaven. I couldn't – I just couldn't yeah. believe – it was when I realized how many bands there were that I might like, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and the thing that I, the thing I just the one thing I remember discovering there was the Descendants, the uh, ah. the kind of post punk California sure. Uh, sure. band. Um, they they had their album. They had an album called All. Um, right. That might have been their last album before well, I they, think they became all. They became all, yeah. They like yeah. changed lead singers and they became all. And I liked yeah. all as well. Moved to Columbia, Missouri, became all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that album uh, is. I, I got a. I got a. I wonder if it's, it's streaming. I got to get a copy of it and listen to it again. I'm not a cool guy anymore, as if I yeah. ever was before. That's a great song. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as a what was I thinking of? Yeah, that's a great song. I've heard it recently. Said I'd see you later, but it's hard to see at all. At the bottom of the barrel, with our backs against the wall. Oh, but it's it's such a it's such a a sorry hopscotch from that to like Green Day. I mean, you can see you can see the the vine. Eventually climbing up that wall and becoming less <laughs> really? less attractive. No, it's like like no. English ivy that looks so nice when it's on the ground. Get out the pesticide. It covers <laughs> then it covers up a, a whole house. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there's, there's no lines. Here. Yeah. Um, so if you if you were growing up in Allentown, yeah, where would you go to buy a copy of Billy Joel's Allentown? Listening booth at the mall, at the Lehigh Valley Mall. If you were in Bethlehem, where would you go to buy a copy of Oh Little Town of Bethlehem? <laughs> Probably the listening booth at the Lehigh Valley Mall. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> Convergence. You wouldn't need to buy a copy because it would be pouring out of every speaker. The convergences of the Lehigh Valley. <laughs> if you were in Phillipsburg and you wanted a copy of Richard Hugo's Degrees of Gray in <laughs> Phillipsburg... 
Yeah, I can't think of anything for don't, Easton. Don't bother with Walden books. <laughs> I miss Walden books, man. My mom would take me to the mall. Once I was at an age where I could be left alone at the mall, um, which yeah. was probably later in my case than, than most kids because my mom was uh, a little paranoid of, of uh, child snatchers, I think. But um, she kept you, her kids out of the street, know. at least. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and wander into the highway over there at the Lennon house. That, um, street, that street was kid free. <laughs> but uh, um, I would go, she would go, you know, shopping for clothes or whatever moms do at the mall yeah. in, in uh, 1981. And I would go to Walden Books and get another Stephen King paperback or something. Yeah, yeah. Really, really good. Copy of Night Shift. Yeah. Yeah. Always can use another copy of Night Shift. Which one had the monkey on the cover? The monkey with the symbols. Skeleton Crew, I think. Yep. Skeleton Crew. Yeah. I remember the Walden books or B. Dalton would have a very narrow classic section. (laughs) Like a half section of classics. And that would be half of it would be Ayn Rand. Yeah. It was like, but then the, there would then there'd be like like the mayor of Casterbridge or something, <laughs> and so I'd get that, and I would you know. <laughs> it's the uh, every every spine the same color section. Yeah, I would of yeah. course I would grow up to love Penguin Classics, but at the time it was like avoid that, avoid that boring ass looking shit. Yeah, a little penguin looks like a cartoon, but it's not. <laughs> It's the worst cartoon in the whole place. <laughs> Give me Garfield. I'll tell you one thing that has endured from the eighties, and that is that is Garfield. Yeah. Among the like the the kindergarten to third grade set. Yeah. Still crazy for Garfield. Really? So I've been volunteering at, at Oscar's elementary school library um one morning a week for like two hours or so. So I go in, I help out in the library, I shelve books, and then it's then I eat, I eat lunch with Oscar and then go on with my day. And I really look forward to it. That's a, a little elementary school library. Some things with the Dewey Decimal System. But most things are, most things are uh, Harry Potter books or the Warriors series. Do you know about the Warriors? No, they're cats. Of course they are. Yeah, it's like a Lord of the Rings with cats, <laughs> and it's like forty books. Um, the easy reader books, the little. Chapter books, uh, all the the picture books, mm-hmm. the graphic novels slash cartoons. Um, I, I've got it down. Get my uh, get my car. I go in. I get my cart. I push my cart. I've got a whole system. Most of the nonfiction books in the Dewey De- Decimal System. I thought, oh, this is going to be hard, but almost all of them are either three ninety eight point two, which is things about like fairies and dragons. Yeah. Six thirty six point seven, which is cats. Six thirty six point eight, which is dogs. Six thirty six point nine, which is horses. Sure. And there's some sections of like reptiles. Yeah. Then there's the um, what's the little girl who won the Nobel Prize? Oh, um, I forgot. Malia Yousafzai. Yeah. Every other book is about her. Uh huh. Um, and then there's the Garfield books which are the same books from the 80s that like every child at this at Buckman Elementary School has read since 1985 not just not you're saying not just the same character and cartoonist 
but the same the and very the same, same treasuries yeah. of yeah 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 man they're mad for garfield <laughs> i'm surprised and calvin and hobbs yeah and avengers avengers the dumb kids like the avengers it's got an avenger on it they're gonna look at it eh. fancy nancy kids like fancy nancy who is she I think the name explains it all, doesn't it? You know, in internet discourse, the word fancy, fancy is so often used as a, like a denigrating modifier. I don't need, no, I don't, you know, with your, I don't need a, I don't need some fancy degree to know that, you know, I don't need some fancy ketchup to enjoy this hot dog. Right. Yeah. I don't need any of your fancy air to breathe with your fancy lungs. <laughs> Liberal elitists. <laughs> your fancy hands and feet. <laughs> so uh, we're, we should wrap up pretty soon, but you sent me a link to um, the Fine Arts Work Center is this in Provincetown or is it a different one? Oh well, that's that's really oh, no, there. It is. So, so the Fine Arts Work Center in Provincetown has a uh, on bunch of online classes. Oh yeah, Look at that under the which are officed out of Twenty Four Pearl Street in Boston, mm-hmm. overseen by Jill McDonough, fine poet. And I've been teaching for them for a couple of years. I think I, I sent that to you because I was going to talk about this other book called the. Uh, We've run out of time to do, but The Education of a Young Poet, which is a collection of essays by David Byspiel. B-I- yeah, it I should know. be pronounced Bichpiel. I um, think I know how to spell that from German, or do I? Yeah. It's the German spelling with an American pronunciation. <laughs> sort, of like, Spiel. sort of like every Bichpiel. street in Chicago? <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. B-I-E-S-P-I-L. Um, who's a poet critic lives here in Portland who's a friend and then I, I te- he runs a thing called the Attic Institute which I teach at and then I just like this other 24 Pearl Street uh, but that's I was can't remember why I was going to talk I was just wanted to talk about this say this is a good book what's the title of the book again those were the kind of affiliated issues uh, The Education of a Young Poet great um I can't find Which it, is. oddly. Finding lots of essays uh, by him in the rumpus. That, this, is a, this is really a collection of those essays. Yeah. It just came out. It's Counterpoint. Very good, very good. Um, I'll look on... Uh, it's yeah. not showing up anywhere. It's, it's been out for a, a month or so. Um, and I've, I've really been enjoying it. It's, it's sort of... It's, in th- you know, sort of about like coming to consciousness as a poet and developing as a poet. But most of it's about just kind of being a politically aware and engaged person in the, from the eighties yeah. to the current day. And then sort of how that relates to being a literary person. Good. Like working on the Ted Kennedy's campaign, um, sort of the, the, uh, tracing the, tracing the sorrows of the hopeful progressive. <laughs> Uh, oh God! To some point, to some point of of, I, I've I've been 
enjoyed some of, I read a lot of it when it was in the rumpus and then he had, there's some that, that wasn't in the rumpus. Um, and it, it's, it suggests it's a little bit of an antidote to the panic of the moment mm-hmm. and saying, uh, reminding us that the, the Obama years were, were just a, a little period of where we were winning just enough to forget that it was a struggle. Yeah. I think that's, um, I think that's very true, which is our fault. Yeah. For forgetting that it was a struggle. Yeah. Yeah. Alas. But, uh, everything seems to, uh, everything seems to be unraveling in politics, and then the, it unravels, and then you just realize that the that the twine ball is even bigger than you thought it was. Yeah. Nothing's nothing's unraveling. <sighs> yeah. Oh well. But uh, at least I'm going to be shunned. By Twitter, at least That'll I can give thanks for that. Yeah, yeah. I saved the baby pretty. and insulted uh, all my acquaintances. Yeah, I don't um, think that's a big insult. No, I think in in in, in tr- at the level of Twitter rhetoric, as I remember it from a month ago, <laughs> um, that's almost a gentle caress. Yeah, <laughs> a loving enconium. Yeah, that's what it is. All right, let's. Uh, all right. Let's wrap uh, good it up, talk friend. To you, John. Yeah, I'll let's uh, let's do it again soon. My semester's we ending. Even, we so. didn't even talk about Thanksgiving meals. Oh my god, or food <laughs> at all. Well, basically, I had turkey and stuffing twice. Ditto. Are you hungry for lunch? Well, then let's have lunch.